When I was in the hospital a couple of weeks ago, I got a visit from a pastor here in Oneonta and his wife. I won't tell you his name, but he was a Baptist pastor and he came by to visit me. And uh, he gave me a word while I was there. And the word was from one of his favorite songs and his and the scripture in uh, Lamentations 3, chapter 3. And the uh, scripture, uh, the song was, uh, Great is thy faithfulness. You know, Lord unto me, morning by morning new mercies I see. And if you keep reading on down, it says, it is good for you to wait patiently on the Lord. It is good for you to wait patiently on the Lord. And so he gave that, shared that word with me. And it was a blessing. It was a blessing to have someone from uh, a pastor from a fellow pastor from Oneonta come and visit me. Um, my dad was dying in the hospital in, in uh, Amarillo, Texas. And uh, he had had his kidneys paralyzed by carbon tetrachloride poisoning. And he was... Uh, um, his kidneys had shut down. They didn't have the little miracle machine today that is a dialysis machine, but they had um, three, what they had, kidney machines about the size of washing machines. They had three of them in the United States. And as if memory serves me correct, or should I, I, I'm pretty sure my memory is all right, if the information is true. One of them was in Chicago, and one of them was in Los Angeles, and the other one was on tour. Just happened to be going through Amarillo, Texas. This is, these are new things that nobody had seen these before, where they could, you know, flush your blood and cleanse your blood as of instead of uh, your kidneys and hopefully it would help your kidneys kick back in and uh, the the attending physician of the lectures over the machine was our family physician um, Dr. Olson and Dr. Olson used that opportunity uh, to use use it on my dad uh, and showed demonstrations. And uh, it, it was pretty expensive to use, uh, something like $1,000 a pop. And uh, that was, uh, and it took an all-day thing. And then they did three days. And uh, by that, before he, that time, he had been a 200 60-pound man, and he's weighing about 75 pounds at this time. Now, Dr. Olson had told my mother when he went into the hospital that he would not last three days. And at the end of three days, or should I say on the fourth day, he said maybe a week at the most. And at the end of the week, another day, he said maybe a month. And then he said maybe six months. (laughs) He just kept getting longer, and uh, and he was healed. But what was interesting about that is I was in the seventh grade at the time, and we used to go visit my father nearly every night. But this was one night that I was not planning on going, but when I got home, my mother said, you got to go, we're going to go to the hospital. And I said... Uh, something about it's not my day to go. She says, this is something different. She said, uh, your father's room is glowing. And, um, and I, my Aunt Zeta was staying with us and helping. 
And we all said, what? You know, uh, your father's room is glowing. He says he's had visitors from a Baptist church and they prayed with him and led him in the sinner's prayer and he received Christ as his Lord. They didn't even pray for, they didn't even pray for healing. They just prayed that he received Christ and my father received Christ. And she says, and there's people that are coming from uh, all over the hospital and from other places to see him because the bed is glowing and the room is glowing. And so we went to visit. When we got there, was this little line. Well, it wasn't a little line. It was a long line waiting for people just to go in and look to see this room glowing. And uh, I, I went in, and I could see that the bed had a sheen to it. It wasn't like it would knock you out glowing, but it was. It would be. It was just enough to where if you didn't want to believe, you could say, "Ah, it's my imagination" or something like that. And, but it was just also enough that if you did believe, you could see it, and we could see the room glowing. And from that point on, he started getting better and better and better. So I was visited by a doctor, by a pastor, and he said, it is good for you to wait upon the Lord. Uh, Sometimes we don't really think that it's a good thing to wait. Um, We Americans have are bred to be impatient. We always want it, and we want it now. I mean, hence the, the uh, creation of the microwave oven. And I happen to know the year the, the microwave was invented, by the way. Somebody say, how do you know that? It's the year I was born, 1947. I... Somebody gave me a little one of those little bookmarker that says about things that happened in '47, and that was one of them. It's also the year that they discovered the Red Sea Scrolls, which was a great big deal, a big deal. And uh, they had another big founding in the same caves in 1952, which is the year my wife was born. Yeah, they found a complete Isaiah in there, which confirmed Isaiah and many other writings. And it was, it was great. So anyway, while I was in the hospital, uh, I was waiting to be discharged. And I thought I was going to be discharged fairly quickly. Uh, so uh, I thought it was going to be somewhere around 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it is good for you to wait upon the Lord. And so Jackie was coming to get me. And uh, we ended, I ended up getting discharged about, I think it was about 3, 3.30. 3.30, maybe 4. 3.30 is, would be my guess. And uh, one of the things that happened was... Jackie was running errands for me that, because I had to stay in the stay in the room until they discharged me, and she was running errands, and one of them was down at the travel place, and she's waiting in line at the travel, uh, and uh, she she told the person that she was from Oneonta, and this guy behind her said what. What did you say? Did you say you're from Oneonta? And she said, yes. And um, he says, I was just praying that God would bring somebody from Oneonta to, to pick me up because my ride left without me. Now they take bus loads, little van loads to the hospital and he had lost his ride. And he's relatively new in the area in Oneonta. 
And so she said, well, yeah, we'll take you home. And she came back up to the thing. And, of course, I'm doing fairly well with the waiting, uh, for me, anyways. And uh, so she comes back up and she says, uh, <clears throat> she says, maybe we were waiting for a reason. And she says, I think I just had a divine appointment. And she told me what happened. And we went downstairs and I, and where he was waiting for us. And he is, he lives in Oneana right down uh, Main Street here. Uh, and so we gave him a ride to Oneana. And he was, he was just, he's a Christian and he was just ecstatic. And he says, um, <clears throat> I was just praying. And no sooner did I say, God, can you send here somebody from Oneonta? And she said, Oneonta. And she goes, what? What? Well, he was here last Sunday, by the way, sitting right about where Precious is sitting. Right there, last Sunday. And uh, that's uh, with a name, uh, Fred. His last name, you gotta, you can't not forget that. And his last name is De Jesus, which means De Jesus. His last name was De Jesus. So they were the name like that. That was cool. Well, anyway, I was in the room waiting for to be discharged, and this guy goes walking by, and uh, as he walks by, I noticed he had a collar on, a white collar. And I said, hey. And he went on by and he was on a mission to get to somebody. And then he came back and he came in the room. And uh, I, I, I said, are you the one? He said, are you the one that said, hey? I said, yeah. I just thought maybe we could have a little fellowship here. Um, I'm a pastor too. And he says, I've been a pastor for 53 years. Wow, 53. I thought I was doing pretty good for 52 and a half, you know. Uh, 53, that's really good. Don't worry, you won't be stuck with me that long. But uh, anyways, he, 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 it was a church. I, it was not the Anglican church, but it was a it, it was kind of a sep- thing that it separated from the Catholic church a while back. And I mentioned something to him in the scriptures. And uh, it was in the Old Testament. And he says, well, we don't believe in the Old Testament. And I'm, I don't argue with colleagues. I don't, I don't know that it's fruitful to argue with colleagues. So I said, he says, no, it's not that we don't believe that it was, you know, written, that, that it was used, and, but we don't have any fellowship, for example, with Jewish people. And I was like, wow. I, 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 wow. Yeah, right. Somebody ought to tell him who Jesus was. Yeah, so I was, uh, and then he was talking about how he doesn't see, that we don't believe there's any value in the Old Testament writings. That's the Old Covenant. We are in the New Covenant. And I, again, I don't argue with people, but in my head I was going, I feel so sorry for you. (laughs) 53 years in the ministry, and you have missed out on how God is in the Old Testament, how Jesus is in the Old Testament. In Luke 24, starting with verse 13, you have two men. They're on the road to Emmaus. This is after the resurrection. They have heard reports of the resurrection, but they have not seen Jesus. And they're going to Emmaus. I, I always am interested in words for 
various reasons. But I looked the word Emmaus up, and it means warm bath. And I know they probably weren't, but I was wondering if they were on their way to have a jacuzzi or something. (laughs) But they were talking among themselves about how terrible the times are, how horrible it is. And um, Jesus came to them and walked up to be with them, but their, their eyes were holden so that they could not recognize him as Jesus. And of course, he knows everything, but he says, what manner of conversation is this that you're having among yourselves? And he says, have you never, have you not, are you a stranger in this part that you have not heard what has happened about the Jesus of Nazareth and a holy man, a man of God has come to Jerusalem and how they have taken him and they have crucified him and you, you haven't heard of this? And so he goes on and he starts, first he goes on and he starts sharing with them about Jesus in the Old Testament himself. And he shows him how he's in the prophets and he's in the law and how he's in the, the Psalms and he's in, he's in the scriptures and the word of God. And then uh, he says, oh foolish, oh foolish ones, what, how is it that you don't believe? And he didn't say, how is it that you don't believe the witnesses? He didn't say that. He did not. This is important. Jesus didn't say, how is it, how could you not believe what they have been telling you? Didn't even mention that. What he said was, how could you not believe the Old Testament? Because it is written of me on he doesn't say of me yet. Anyway, it says, it's, uh, he goes on to s- visit with them and show them through the whole Testament. And then he would, he would, if he was, act as if he would go further and they were almost where they were going. And he says, please, stay with us a while and uh, eat with us. And they broke bread together. And it says, when they had broken bread and uh, began to eat and to share, their eyes were opened that they could see it was Jesus. And so, they said this, did not our hearts burn within us when he was taking us through the Old Testament? Did not our hearts burn within us you know, oftentimes I wish that I could be at certain places in the Scripture, and I wish that I could understand the language and and just be there at the feet of Jesus. Maybe when He was preaching at the Sermon on the Mountain or something like that many times. But when the disciples once said something about uh, the Old Testament and wouldn't it have been nice to be there? He said, and he said to them, men of the Old Testament, the great patriarchs of old, would give anything to be in your shoes, your sandals right now. And so I realized something about that. My hunger to be back there and, and sit and walk with Jesus is still there. But I realized something that Jesus could say the same thing to us. Do you not realize that my apostles and disciples during my lifetime would give anything to be in your shoes today? So my prayer for you is that the Word of God would cause your hearts to burn within you from the Scriptures. All right, let's look at Matthew 21. And we're going to look at Matthew 21. I missed my favorite Sunday to preach. And that is the Palm Sunday is my favorite Sunday. And I, I have so much from the Old Testament, but I, I have no, 
something much newer today, much greater today, with include included with such wonderful things of old. And I want to show it to you. But let's look at this, starting with verse 1, please. And when they had drawn near to Jerusalem, I want you to understand something. This is the disciples coming to Jerusalem one week before, uh, actually five days if you want to count. This is Palm Sunday. And uh, it's also, uh, well, one, I don't want to get too far off. It's one week before he goes into Jerusalem, into the, goes into and is tried. When they've taken him and they tried him and they crucify him. One week before that. And so it says, when they drew near to Jerusalem, were come to Bethphage. I, I looked that word Bethphage up. And uh, it's interesting that there's no historical record of such a place, nor is there a place of record after this has happened. I almost wonder if this place existed for this time at all. But it says, and were come to Bethphage unto Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find a donkey, if you don't mind my changing the word, donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say unto you, What are you doing? The Lord hath need of them. You shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye, daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt, the foal of an ass. <laughs> Said it, didn't I? Uh, that's in, you find that scripture in Zechariah 9 9. He says, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And he brought the ass and the colt and put them on and put on them their clothes and set them thereon. And very great multitude spread their garments in the way, others cutting down branches from a tree, and strawed them uh, and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before them that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I want you to remember, we're going to go back to verse 9 after we... No, not now. We're going to go back to verse 9 later, okay? And when he was come to Jerusalem, and all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God, cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. This is going to be a prophecy that is fulfilled from uh, from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. And it says, And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. That was said unto them, It is written, this is in Jeremiah seven eleven. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the, and the blind and the lame came to him and in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, Thou hast perfected praise. We're going to stop right there. Just leave it up, please. Thou hast perfected praise. This is a verse of Scripture that is in Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2. And... uh, we're going to look at that in a minute. But meantime, we're going to go back to, uh, to uh, verse 9. Verse 9. 
And the multitudes went before and followed, crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now I want you to turn to Psalm 118. And we're going to look at uh, verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. Now Psalm 118 is a psalm that is used in three of the celebrations of the festivals. It's used like a, uh, it's used in responsive reading, and it's used by the priest, and it's used by the people. And this would uh, would be used in Psalm 118. Excuse me, go back to, is that the words? Go back. I'm sorry. Go back. Can you go back one at a time until I tell you to stop? I want to make sure I get the right one. Um, can't go backwards, can you? Okay, here. Sorry, I messed that up. This is a verse of scripture which they will quote later. Okay. I didn't know you couldn't go backwards. So here we go. Okay. Uh, Okay, um, yeah, I want to, I'm just going to go one verse back. Verse 21. Psalm 118, verse 21, please. Oh, sorry for the confusion. It's my bad, my bad, I get it. Psalm 118, Psalms 118, verse 21. Oh, God, it's all messed up. I'll just read it to you. Okay, Psalm 118, verse 21. Now, they're going to start with a number of scriptures that is going to be referred to in Matthew 21. We're just going to look at one of them right now. And so this is uh, uh, Psalm 20, says, or 21. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and thou hast become my salvation. Uh, I want you to notice something here that it doesn't say you have that, that, that you have saved me. You know, it says thou hast become my salvation. Now, there may be a, a, a play on words that I'm using here to, to, to try to commu- communicate what I want to communicate. But, you know, there's, a, there's something different between doing something for someone and someone being something for someone. Do you, you follow me? You understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to say, you have saved me. Thou hast saved me. It's another thing to say, thou, ha, thou art my salvation. Thou hast become my salvation. Maybe it means the same thing to you. But you see, last week I was talking about the scripture where it says, he was made, God had made his son sin. Made his son sin with our sin, that we might be made or become the righteousness of God in him. So you see, he wasn't just, uh, uh, he didn't just save us. He, he became our salvation. He was our salvation. He is our salvation. Okay, now there are also going to be, uh, the psalmist is going to ask for this. So let's go on. Verse, and the stone, the stone the builders rejected. Now we know that this is most quoted in, in uh, Matthew 21. And it's also quoted in the, in the, uh, the epistles. It's quoted in First uh, Peter. And it's uh, quoted in other places. But it says, the stone the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner this is the Lord's doing. This is God's doing. That, that headstone of the corner is we're built together as a, as a building, as a temple of God. We're built together upon the apostles and prophets being the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It says, 
And this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord hath made. Uh, yeah, I remember I used to watch uh, Robert Schuller uh, in uh, the cathedral, the Crystal Cathedral in in uh, in uh, California, uh, because I lived in California and we could see that it wasn't national at the time. But he he would open up everything with "This is the day the Lord hath made." And we will rejoice and be glad in it. See, the only thing is, and that is true about each and every day. But what he's talking about in this one is the day that these things are happening that he is referring to. The stone has become the headstone at the corner. And more and more, he's going to say, this is the day, like this is the time. You know, we sing that song, this is the time of, you know, <laughs> what somebody you don't, besides me, knows the song, don't you? Well, that's terrible. Maybe I'm not getting the tune very well. This is, this. No, 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 no. This is the time of David who danced before the Lord. You know that song. No, no. This is... Somebody knows that song. Rodney, do you know that song? I know the do-to-do part. I got that down pretty good. Now, I I have to digress. You are absolutely better at the do-to-do part than I am. But I got that down. These are the days of Elijah... No. There's a song called Ancient of Days. What? What's Ancient of Days? Blessing and honor and glory and power. Be unto the Ancient of Days. That's a different song. Yeah. Unless there's a line in there that I've forgotten along with all the other lines. (laughs) So he's saying, this is the day. You know, just this is the time. And he's talking about specifically that's the time that he's going to become. You know, the crucifixion, the resurrection. This is the day. And a matter of fact, when we say, this is the day the Lord hath made, we should be thinking that this is the day because this is the day. You get it? We will rejoice and be glad in it. Next verse. Now, this is what I want to look at. Matter of fact, I'm not going to make any more mistakes. Sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Save now, I beseech thee, Lord. Save now. Save now is the word yasha. It's a compound word, yasha. I beseech thee is the Hebrew word ana. Yasha ana is where we get hosanna. Hosanna comes from those two Hebrew words, yasha ana. And this is the verse that is quoted in responsive reading in the tabernacle of David, in the Feast of Tabernacles, but instead of the people saying it, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the, the excuse me, the priest, the priest say it. The priests say, Save now, I beseech thee, only they say, Hosanna. And that's where this word comes from. And it says, I. O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, sin now prosperity. Now, uh, we're just going to end with that, although I'm very tempted to go on because it's so beautiful. But we're going to end with that. This is why the priest hated so much when the people on Palm Sunday are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, I want to ask you something. 
when the people said, Hosanna, save now, I beseech thee. Do you believe that they would have been so quick to say that if they'd have known what it was going to take for God to save them? Do you understand what I mean? I believe what they meant was give us health, you know, give us prosperity. Like it says, give us prosperity. Come and save us from our enemies. Come and save us from our enemies. And I believe this is what the people uh, uh, were meant. Were meant. I don't know. They, they didn't have a clue. Uh, even the writers that seemed like they had a clue didn't have much of a clue of what was going to happen. Isaiah was about the closest one to it. But you see, if they would say, Come now, God, and be made sin with our sin so that your heavenly Father, Jesus, would turn your ass back on you and there would be broken fellowship between the Father and the Son. Would they be so quick to pray such a prayer? I don't know. I don't know. I would, I, I probably would. But I don't know that if I would be that enthusiastic about it. I mean, to ask somebody, you know, we ask military people to go over there and put their lives on the line. But no one of them, no one, no one knows for sure that when they go over there, they're going to be killed. They have a hope that they will survive. See, but they may not survive and they, they, they die for us. And you know that, I, I, are you grateful that for our men in the military? I am. I'm grateful that they are willing to die for us. But you see, that's, that's another thing. He, it wasn't that he was willing to die. He wasn't going to come on some white horse with a, the whole heavenly host of angels to fight the devil. No, he wasn't. He was coming to die for them. You see, it's one thing to ask somebody to go out and fight for you that might die. But it's another thing to ask somebody to die for you and to, in the process going through what Jesus did. Well, I just, that's just something I just want to throw out there. So anyway, they are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now in my Bible dictionary, my, my uh, vines, it says that after Jesus had been raised from the dead, it would have been improper to sing Hosanna. It would be improper. Why would, because if you were saying, God, come and save us, then you don't understand what he has already done. You don't understand. You're asking for something uh, that you do, if you understood what he did for you, you wouldn't. All the other problems would melt away. See, I mean, it's not if you can help me, Lord, save me, Lord. That's one thing, but to sing Hosanna, come save us, which meant for the call, talk, calling for the Messiah to come say he's done that he's done that so now we sing it as a praise to the Lord okay but do you understand the priest being so upset you see when Jesus came in on the donkey and he goes into the courts of the Gentiles we've said this uh, that's not that, that right there they're upset you know, wait a minute, the courts of the Gentiles, that's not even part of the temple as far as we're concerned. The priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that, that's not even part of the temple. You know, that's for the courts of the Gentiles. That's where we, we shyster, take advantage of the Gentiles. That's where we make our big bucks off the Gentiles. When you go in there and say, my house... That, that in itself is going to tick them off. They're not, they're not going to be happy with that at all. And so he's, and, and then the people yelling, Hosanna. It's like 
you shut them, they'll shut those people up. Now go to Psalm 8, verse 1. Psalm 8, verse 1. Hallelujah. 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou, hast you ordained strength because of your enemies, that thou mightest still, leave this one up please, still the enemy and the avenger. Now, if you remember, Jesus quotes this verse and he says, have you never read that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Only this says, out of the mouths of babes thou hast ordained strength. Now, there's a number of possibilities that Jesus may have been uh, quoting from the Septuagint, which was written in Greek. And it may have said, uh, perfected praise. Or he may have been changing it to uh, not changing the meaning, but increasing the meaning. Because he says, thou hast ordained strength. How many in here need strength? You know, we had a word, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. And so here we have, uh, you know, ordained strength. It was what is, if you just get up and open the door, let him in. It says ordained strength. And what does it mean? Perfected praise by, by praising the Lord. Praising what in general? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Praising the name of the Lord. See, that's another thing. By no other name shall we be saved than the Lord, than the name of the Lord. It says, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies. Thou, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. You know, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says this, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They're not carnal. But they're mighty. They're mighty weapons that we mightest still the mouth of the avenger. The weapons of our effort are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know how to, the weapons of a warfare, the number one weapon that you have is praise. The praise. Essence, the weapons of our warfare, casting down imaginations, you know what imaginations are? God give, gives good imaginations. When you Im- use your imagination in the scriptures, that's good because we are we could be conformed to the image of Christ. Image comes from the word imagine. So if we imagine this, this in the scriptures, that's called meditation. One of the definitions of the Greek word meliteo is imagine. It says, well, so we don't imagine, but it says, the weapons of our warfare are not mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you know what Satan uses uh, in attacking you? It's words. It's words. And Words get in your head and they become towers of strength in your brain from the devil. He has towers of strength in our, but we have weapons that we can cast those uh, towers down and do what? And bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, it's our thoughts that 
condemn us. It's our thoughts that defeat us. So what does it mean to still the enemy and the avenger? It means to shut his mouth. You see, when we praise the name of the Lord, that is a weapon there among many other weapons. And we cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So this is what God wants from us. Now I want you to turn to uh, Ezekiel, the 44th chapter, 4-4. Ezekiel 4-4. And I'm going to start with verse 9. I hope. Now, what is happening here when the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, what are they taking, the, who are they taking the place of? The priest. But you see, in reality, one of the things that Jesus is doing is he's returning the priesthood to the believer. He is taking the priesthood away from the the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Levite priests, and he's giving it to the people. So when the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, they are becoming, it's a process of becoming what God has called them to be. Now what happened was in the origin, you look, go back and you read uh, Exodus 22, 32, excuse me, in Exodus 19, you'll find out that God wanted to fellowship with the people. He wanted to have intimacy with the people and fellowship, just as he did with Adam and Eve when when he came uh, in the garden and he would come in the cool of the day and he would have fellowship with them. And when when the devil uh, uh, tricked them with deceit, he took them from being able to have fellowship with him. And that's why they were hiding from God when he came to have fellowship with them. He created Adam and Eve to have fellowship with him as a family. And so the priesthood, when the priesthood, uh, the priesthood of the, of the, when they, when it was, uh, when the, when the, excuse me, when the children uh, turned away from that, of Israel, turned away from being priest unto God, then the priesthood was given to the Levites. Now, the, the purpose of the priest was to go up, go in, and have fellowship with God. All right? Now, we're going to read this. And this is, this is, you can go back and find out this is about so many time periods. One is the present, one is the future, and then one is the future future, if you would. And so this is talking about this. And I want you to get past wondering about all these different things and just listen to God's heart in this. All right. He says, Thus saith the Lord God, the stranger, the uncircumcised in heart, no uncircumcised in flesh. You know, that means no one that has a covenant with me, if they don't have a covenant with me, shall enter into my sanctuary of any stranger that is among the children of Israel. And the Levites that are gone away far from me. Now he's talking about when they were carried into to, to bondage. And the Levites that have gone far away from me when Israel went astray, which went, ast- went, <clears throat> went astray away from me after their idols, they shall even bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having my charge at the gates in the house, and minister into the house and, and shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people and they shall stand before them and minister unto them. He says, they'll be able to still minister to the people in my sanctuary. He says, yet they, yet be caught. Excuse me. Did you go to the next verse? Uh, <laughs> because they minister unto them before their idols, the <clears throat> And caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore have I lifted up my hand against them, saith the Lord, and they shall bear their iniquity. And they shall not come near unto me. So notice that, that they are saying about the ones that, uh, that, that, that 
cause the children to go astray. They shall not come unto me to do an office of a priest unto me. Now, do you see that? Do you see, do you, do you, just see, forget trying to figure all this out, all right? And just listen to this. They could not be a priest unto me. So when we go back in Matthew 21, it's saying that the priesthood is going to return to the believer. What is the responsibility of the priesthood? Well, if you read uh, Exodus 15, you find out. But if you read 1 Peter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, We are a holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, that we should show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness. So can you now see how it connects to Psalm 8, 2, 8, 8, excuse me, 8, 1 and 2? It says, They shall not come near to me to, to do an office of a priest unto me, nor come near unto any of my holy things in the most holy f- place. But, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Next verse. But I will make them keepers of the charge of the house and the service thereof and for all that is done therein. But the priest, the Levites, the sons of Zadok. Well, I, I could go and talk to you about Zadok in a whole sermon. But I just want to say this so much about Zadok. Zadok was a faithful high priest under Saul. David and Solomon, all three of them, which was an amazing miracle in itself that you could do that and was loyal and faithful to all three of them. And it says the sons of Zadok, even the word Zadok means just righteous, just righteous. It's not what, you know, just and righteous mean the same thing. It's It's like saying it twice. Righteous, righteous. All right. He is our right. When, when it talks about the sons of Zadok, it's talking about a people that are like Zadok. You see? You follow me? And so it says, I charge in my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall not come to minister to me. What happened to the sons of Zadok? Go back to the sons of Zadok. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't go back far enough myself. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, they kept the charge in my sanctuary. When the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall not come near, they shall come near to me to minister to me and unto, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord God. Notice all this to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. You know, God has this problem. He, he thinks he's God or something. Me, myself, and me, you know, I, me, mine, I, me, mine, I, me, mine. It's all about him. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, it is all about him. They shall enter into my sanctuary and they shall come near to my table to minister unto me. And they shall, they shall keep my charge. What are they going to be? Minister unto them? They're going to be a priest. We are called to the priesthood. That's why this Matthew 21 is so incredible and so exciting that in the charge of the, the courts of the Gentile, and it says, and it shall come to pass that they shall enter into the gates of the inner court and be clothed with, and we're going to stop with this, with linen garments. And it talks about how uh, their, their upper part and their lower part would be clothed in and not wool. Because why? Because this isn't a matter of works. This isn't, it says that they shall not sweat. This isn't a matter of sweat. This is a matter of loving God. This is an honor and a privilege to be his child. This is an honor and a privilege to be a priest unto him. It's an honor and a privilege to worship him. To, 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 to eat at his table with him. It's his table. To eat at his table with him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You can turn that off now. Here's what's going to happen. There are other, there's going to be other verses that confirm this. But what happened? I, 
through studying Matthew 21 and 22 and, and this whole thing, uh, going back in scriptures, I suddenly saw something that I'd never seen before. And we're going to look at this next week. If you want a good assignment, read Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And so why is that so important, Psalm 78? You see, back when kings, uh, before King Saul was king, during the time of Judges with the high priest of Eli, Eli had two sons that were worthless people. That's what the Bible calls them, worthless people. They were sons of Belial. I mean, sons of the devil. All right. And so these, these Hophni and Phinehas, they were going at war with the Philistines. And they uh, ran into a problem. The Philistines were just killing them and killing them. And this was at Ebenezer. And so they said, we need the Ark of the Covenant here. And so Hophni and Phinehas goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant. And they bring, and they bring it to the, the site. And the first thing that happens, the Philistines says, oh no, it's the Ark of the Covenant. We're doomed. And they start to run away. And then one of them says, hold on there. Quit ye like men. Quit ye like men. It's like, be, be a man. Quit ye like men. Are we going to serve them like we've made them serve us? And they turned around and they killed 34,000 Israeli soldiers. And they took the Ark of the Covenant. And they take the Ark of the Covenant to the land of the Philistines. You know what the land of the Philistines was? They have a name for it now. It's called the Gaza Strip. There are several other names that they have. There's five big cities in in this area of the Gaza Strip. And and there were five lords of the Philistines. That's why David chose five smooth stones. He had one for Goliath. And if any one of the other kings had a, had a, had a champion, he'd take them on too. Also, Goliath had four brothers just in case they wanted to get in the mix. You know, he was ready. But the Ark of the Covenant is taken to the Philistines. And everywhere it goes, it just racks havoc. All right. And, the, and the, so they sit it someplace else and it racks more havoc. It's worse than ever. And they send it something else, and it's more habit. And by the time it gets through, and about takes about ten months, it's like we gotta we gotta get rid of this thing. It's gonna destroy us. And two of the things that they had a plague of was one was mice, and the other one was hemorrhoids, literally hemorrhoids. That's why it says he smote them in their hinder parts. I'm not I'm not being crude here. That's what the Bible says, and that's what it's talking about. Psalm, so what happens is they, the Ark of the Covenant is sent back to, to, uh, to Israel. He says, but they, you know, it just kind of hangs around at different places. They don't really explain it very well because it just, for, for about 99 years later, it's still not in Jerusalem. It's still not in Shiloh, where the or Gibeon they had moved the 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 tabernacle of Moses to Gideon. See, the Ark of the Covenant was taken out of the tabernacle of Moses, and so it, they they don't bring it back for maybe because they're all scared to death of it and they don't want to be anywhere near it. Kind of sound familiar about when the people didn't want to see God face to face. Says, but ninety nine years later, David is king. And he says, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. But I don't want to bring it to the, the Tabernacle of Moses, which was in Gibeon at the time. He says, I want to bring it to a tent, which I pitch at Jerusalem. And so he brings the Ark of the Covenant back. He tries to bring it back on a new ox cart, which is the way the Philistines sent it in in the first place. There's a whole mess. I heard a whole sermon about the two milk, milk oxen. Oxen, oxes, you know, the two cows, the two cows. Well, they're cows, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oxen. So, and so, uh, I wrote a sermon about how, you know, they just gave birth to cat, calves and they don't want to, they're not going to leave their calves, but they t- bring the Ark of the Covenant back. And they bring the ark. David puts it on the ark, send his two best men, Uzzah and Ahiah, and it starts, God gets, 
upset because he gave specific in, instructions on how to, to, to bear the Ark of the Covenant. So he kind of kicks it over in a high, and uh, Uzzah stands up and he goes like this. It was Uzzah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He put down his Uzzah and he, he did this. They were two bodyguards, and one of them had an Uzzah, and the other one had an AKA, AK, what, 47, there you go. And Uzzah gets struck dead, and David is furious, and he's like, what are you, I, I thought I was supposed to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to this tent up here. Oh, he's furious. And then he's praying, and he realizes it wasn't what he was doing that was wrong, it was how he was doing it. So now he goes out and sends the priest out and they carry it through the staves and on their shoulders and they have so certain ones that go before it and David, David danced before the ark. You know that story. And when it, but instead of bringing it to Gibeon, he brings it to the tabernacle which he pitched, which was at Jerusalem. And he makes one offering, one sacrifice official offering at the doorway of the gateway. And then they bring it into the tabernacle of Moses where it was surrounded by praise and worship for 49 years, 24-7, worshiping and praising the Lord. Now what I suddenly realized just within the last few months, he was giving an illustration of the restoration of the priesthood to the believer. You see, now the believer could come in and worship and praise. Now the lead song leader and the lead orchestra leader and the lead art leader, you know, of the band I was going to make a joke, but I couldn't remember the name. Never mind. McNamara. His name is McNamara. He's the leader of the band. Asaph was the guy. So he ends up... So, listen, I saw a movie about King David. It's got to be at least 40 years ago. And Richard Gere... Am I saying his name? Richard Gere played him. And I was just shocked at how scriptural a lot of it was it was just amazing and one of the things that he did was he showed when King David went to Abimelech and pretended to be mad you don't, you don't find too many people preaching on that because, but they put that in the movie the other thing was them, the ark, it was the tabernacle of David and you know what happened guess what happened when he brings the ark of the covenant the priest don't like it. Ring any bells? Do you understand? Do you see the parallel between Jesus' day coming into the temple? And then it says, see, use this symbol. Isaiah, I, I have to say this. Sorry I'm going into your time, Eric. But this is really good. Listen to this. Okay. Asaph, in Psalm 78, he says, if you got to read the psalm, if you, if you start getting bogged down in it, just go to verse 60, okay? And why is that? Because the first of it is just talking all about all that God has done for Israel. It's really not a, a psalm to God. It's more like a psalm from God. And it's rebuking them for, for uh, all, all the things that Israel had done in the past and, and, and telling them, you know, don't fall into the same mistake. Why is he doing this? Because, see, he's going to get to why God forsook the tabernacle that, of Joseph, same, same tabernacle of Moses, same tabernacle of, of the congregation, just different, there's like five, six different names of it. He forsook that, and he turned his glory in, over to the enemy's hands. What do you think he's talking about there? What, what do you think Asaph's talking about there? He's talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection? Is he? Is he? Yes. But you know what he, what he thought he was talking about? He was talking about the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the glory of the Lord. And it says, God turned his glory over into the enemy's hands. 
And then he smote them in their hinder parts. And he, and he, 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 he did damage to them. And what, what, what does that sound like? Oh, having spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, how he destroyed the, him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Do you see how parallel it is? And then he says, and he woke up. He woke up. What? The glory of God woke up. He woke up as if a man is, gets, when a man gets drunk. Now, some of you people don't drink and maybe never have. Uh, there's one thing about me when I used to drink. At one point in the night, I was the best pool shooter in the world. At one point in the night, I was like James Bond. At one point in the night, I, I was the artist of Van Gogh. I was the best of the best at one point. Didn't last very long, but that's the way I felt. I felt like I can take on anything. And then found out a couple of times I was wrong. Well, he says this, I'm not making, he says this, what like feeling strong from strong drink. From wine, being strong, you know, when you feel like mm, me strong, you know, that's what you feel like. And he says, it was like that. And he says, that's the resurrection. That was the resurrection from the dead. But what it was is that was when the Ark of the Covenant. Now, see, the Ark, if you read it and see the parallels, then. The word of God is going to burn within you. It's going to burn in you when you see the parallel. But you see what Asaph is doing through this whole thing is he's uh, this is addressed to the people of Israel. He's saying this is why God or David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to his tent. It's because this is and they didn't know this, but they were actually symbolically playing out what is happening for us in, and I would say today, because that day hasn't ended. That day is continuing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see? It is so incredible. So the, re, the part of the priesthood, this is, so, this, is, this is it. This is so important. The restoration of the priesthood to the believer What is our job as a priest? To be a priest unto God. Now we don't offer up sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the one and only true sacrifice. Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered into the holy of holies by by his blood. You see, we we don't make sacrifices, but what we do do is worship the Lord. We minister at his table. We go into his presence and we worship him. That is our job. That is our holy purpose. That is the purpose of God in our life. You know, we have a lot of purposes going on in our life. But what we really need to do is focus on what is God's purpose for my life. And one of the purposes, he's restored. Look what he has done to restore the the priesthood to me. And do I really... Take it seriously, sometimes not so much. But should I? Yes. Yes. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Read Psalm 78. You will see that he's telling the people why. Why they're doing that. Why is of God. Hallelujah.